I hope you found the, the Disciple Makers classes uh, helpful. I, I, I really have. I kind of, if I'm honest, like more helpful than I was expecting to have uh, found them. I kind of envisaged them a little bit like another uh, first principles classes like you used to do uh, many years ago. Um, but I, I, you know, I think for me personally, one thing has really stuck out to me. Like, you know, when I was a younger Christian, and maybe you can relate to this, um, my way of studying the Bible with people was, it was quite blunt. You know, I didn't really know what to ask people. I'd ask them these really kind of obscure questions, not get the answer that I was looking for. Then I'd kind of tell them what I was looking for. They'd get confused. Then I'd get offended. It was just kind of, it was a mess, you know. Um, and, and then over time, I began kind of watching other people more. And, and, and that's a really good way, I think, of learning how to study the Bible with people. You kind of watch other people and I'd learn from them. And, and they would ask these great questions. And I'd kind of think, oh, so, so there's something about questions. You've got to, rather than tell people loads of stuff, you've got to ask them questions. And I think for me, the, the oh, let me flick forward. Forrest gave me a set of his slides. Let me get those all those up there. You know, what the disciple makers has really taught me, I think, to be honest, at a whole new level is how to use those kind of questions, how to ask probing questions. You know, I was speaking with a psychologist friend recently, and they, and they were saying that, you know, they, they call it digging down. But, 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 but actually, I think that that's what the disciple makers classes have, have focused a lot on, is how to actually ask deep questions and make people think about the scriptures, not just, you know, teaching them loads of information or teaching them really superficial, what does the scripture say, okay, let's move on. But actually, kind of going through those, the, the, you know, the wedges of the the what's, the hows, and the whys, you know, and, and, and in a sense, that's what we're going to kind of finish up with tonight. We're going to look at two things. Forrest gave me two parts to to look at. He gave me 24 hours notice, so I think we have just about you know enough coverage. So, so, so he asked me to look very quickly at the Holy Spirit study, but but he basically said that that's one topic that he's going to cover next week at the False Doctrine evening on the Wednesday night in uh, Selyuk. So if you want to come along to that, there'll be more on the Holy Spirit there. Let me just quickly whiz across as we put these up. Don't know, I'll get the whole lot of these. So, so, so with the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, Forrest's point was quite a good one, I think, that, 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 that for most people, do they need to understand the Holy Spirit before they become a Christian? I would say probably in my experience, no. I mean, some people have questions about it and, you know, and, and that's fine. And if there's someone who, you know, you sometimes come across people who they want to learn more before they feel ready to make a decision to become a Christian, which is fine. You know, by all means, we can do a Holy Spirit study. I think it is a great study, as far as put there, to use, you know, after someone has become a Christian. It's a great kind of, if you like, follow-up study after someone has become a Christian, because, you know, really, the Holy Spirit is the part of God that he puts inside of us. It's the empowering that, that he gives us. So I think that's a great kind of way to set someone up once they've become a Christian. I do think that there are, it's there, you know, the, 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 a certain category, perhaps, of people, and some of us may have come from this background, who, you know, doing a Holy Spirit study would actually be really helpful before they become a Christian, particularly if they're from a kind of Pentecostal background and they even talk a lot about being baptized in the spirit and speaking in tongues and all those kind of things which you know they can be we could spend a whole we could spend a, a month talking about those different topics um, which we're not going to get into tonight tonight but 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 anyone who's had a question anytime that i've done a study with someone like you know that kind of study with someone from a pentecostal background there is one thing and i'll flag this now and i think Forrest will probably talk about this more next week 
But there's a distinction in the Bible between the outpouring of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit. And it's never, it's not quite used in those terms in Hosea, Amos, and Joel. It is talked about the outpouring, but we never really talk about the indwelling of the Spirit. But, but there's, there's two different things going on when we look at the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. And the outpouring of the Spirit is basically the times where God's Spirit fell, up, you know, it often talks about, you know, it fell upon people, and then they prophesied or they spoke in tongues or something like that. that that's not to do with salvation. It's to do with God, you know, wanting to get a message across to people. You remember that passage in, I think it's 1 Kings where, uh, 1 Samuel where, uh, you know, uh, Saul, it says that the Holy Spirit fell upon Saul, the king, and he wasn't in a good place. I mean, Saul, you know, uh, as far as we, you know, as is recorded, he only ever prayed once in his life. You know, at one point it says that the Holy Spirit of God had actually left him. But there's a point where, you know, this Spirit of God is outpoured upon Saul. And he goes and prophesies and speaks and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and then these other guys, they kind of go, you know, is, is Saul amongst the company of prophets? Because he's prophesying like these kind of prophets of God. But, but, but that's not about salvation. That's about God having a message that he wanted to get out to people. And you think about the New Testament and, you know, the beginning of the book of Acts, and in Acts 10, it's the outpouring of the Spirit. God wants to, to get a message across uh, to people in Acts 2 and in Acts 10. The indwelling of the Spirit, though, is what we think about in the New Testament when we think about salvation. It's the, the indwelling of the Spirit that we receive when we become disciples and we're forgiven of our sins. But anyway, all of that stuff will be covered, I think, more next week, so I'm going to kind of skip on because time is limited. We're going to focus most of our time tonight, then, uh, for me an odd kind of, oh, there we go, okay, trying to figure out, I, I use a, oh, it doesn't matter, I use a PowerPoint thing, this is not quite the usual format I use, so if you, we're going to look at the, the, the church study tonight, and go through that very quickly, but I'd like to focus, let me get rid of that, there we go, uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, have a look at 1 Corinthians 12, there's a set of passages that we would tend to use with people, you know, and, and the church study, as we're teaching it tonight, is probably one of the one of the last studies that we would do with people. And the way I've used the church study in the past, it, you know, and I've seen you know, many evangelists, etc., use it like this, is, is a bit like a kind of a, you know, it, it, it's going back over some things we should have probably covered before and also you know, pointing to some, some things that we may not have covered before, like you know, coming along to meetings, etc., the role of each other in each other's lives, and you might talk about discipling relationships and those kind of things in a church study. But, but let's pick it up in 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 12. And Paul writes, Just as a body, though, many has, though, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, when we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm an ear, sorry, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? I kind of picture Paul kind of laughing a little bit as he kind of wrote uh, this. Uh, if the whole body were uh, an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, you are many parts, but one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable we are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that all its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. There's, there's a whole number of things I think we could pull out. And this goes back to what I said before, where, you know, you can touch upon things that we've probably covered before in previous studies and also push forward a little bit with things you probably haven't covered before. But one of the things Paul starts with right at the beginning is the idea of baptism. So, so, so who is in... Uh, the second one on here. Who is in the kingdom? Who is a part of the body? Who is a part of the church? Well, it's defined by those people who have repented and been baptized. Paul kind of takes that for, for granted. I mean, that goes kind of without saying. But, 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 but that's an important point that we can emphasize with people. You know, those who are part of the body are those who've repented and been baptized. I think, as a church, we kind of we swing one of two ways. You know, in the past, I'm, and you may remember this, and if not, I don't want to bring back bad memories, but... but you know, in the past, sometimes we've talked about, you know, we are the only church, you know. And, and, and some of us, whether we think about it like that or not, you know, we, we cling quite strongly to that view still that, you know, we are the only church. And I've still come across, you know, kind of views like that. On the other hand, I think probably more of us now have become, dare I say it, maybe a little bit too liberal. And, and we don't want, we don't want, so we've kind of done that pendulum thing. We don't want to say... We are the only church that is, you know, right with God. We are the kingdom of God, etc. So we kind of swung almost the other way and kind of said, you know, yeah, there's, there's lots of different people out there who might be part of God's church. And this goes back to something I said in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. You know, I, 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 I find that hard to get my head around sometimes. You know, where, where, where do we stand and who is in and out of the kingdom, etc. And if I'm honest with you, I, I don't think there's a way of, you know, making a big blanket statement about that. I think it's clearer when you sit down and study the Bible with people. And if I'm honest, the times that I've been kind of weaker in my conviction about who is and who isn't part of the kingdom are the times when I've not been studying the Bible with people. Like when I actually sit down with people and, 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 and I don't have a kind of a, I don't, I don't prejudge people, but I kind of say, you know, here's discipleship, right? Here's repentance, here's baptism. And, and I ask them from, a, you know, does this describe you? Does this describe your lifestyle or your conversion? I've got to be honest with you, you know, every member of my family, and I've said this before, you know, comes from very, very religious backgrounds. You know, my grandfather was a preacher, my great-grandfather was a preacher, and all, you know, and, and, but I, I've studied the Bible with and talked with most of my family members from most different denominations there are around, and there's not an awful lot of them who agree with the idea of discipleship as a standard for everyone and who agree with repentance and baptism. So, I, you know, I, I honestly think, I don't think we need to kind of say, you know, we are the only church, because I don't believe that is true. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. But, on the other hand, I do think we need to be careful about being too liberal and kind of saying, you know, well, everyone's part of God's kingdom. I think Paul kind of deals with that a little bit there. It's not about the organization. 
it is about repentance, baptism, and discipleship. So, so, so what, is the, what, it, what is the passage saying that we should, I think, get across and communicate to people in a, a, a church study? Well, Paul says several things. One of the obvious points, I think, is that the church is made up of diversity, right? You know, there are all these different parts in the church. And you could read that whole number of different ways. I, I would have thought, you know, at one level, it's about, well, you wouldn't just expect a one-race church, right? There should be, a, our church should be multicultural, right? You know, I, I've spoken and shared my faith with people before, who, and, you know, you have too. Who, you know, they go, well, I go to church, it's the Chinese church. Well, who else goes, well, it's just the Chinese people. And I go to church, and it's the, it's the Uruba church from Nigeria, or it's the Igbo church from Nigeria, or it's, you know, and who goes, well, it's just my black Uruba friends from, you know, and you kind of think, hold on a second, that's not quite the diversity that, I mean, that's one of the great blessings I think we have of being part of, part of the kingdom, if you know what I mean. So, so, so the church is made up of diversity. I think we should emphasize that to people. You know, I think one of the other things that we should say is that, 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 that everybody has a part to play. The body works together. You think about the things that Peter says long, you know, together, you know, you, you are being built together into God's living temple. And, and, and I think Paul's trying to get at the same idea here, you know, that, that it would be really odd. I mean, it'd be, I mean, there are some people, unfortunately, who live like this, but it would be very hard for me to kind of walk around with, you know, one leg or no legs or, you know, or one eye or no eyes. You know, everything works together to play. Maybe a better analogy is like a, a football team. You know, I remember watching that film a little while ago. Um, it's an Adam Sandler film. What's it called? Uh, the Whole Nine Yards. Have you seen that film? Uh, anyway, he's a very cocky... The longest yard, that's it, yeah. So he, he's a very cocky um, uh, quarterback. I, I, don't, I don't know American football very well. Yeah, so he's a, he's a very cocky quarterback. You tell me if I get this wrong. He's a very cocky quarterback, and, and, and basically he dumps his team in it, et cetera, et cetera. So they try and get him back. And he's, the, he's a star player, gets thrown in prison, and he's playing with the prison team. And there's a point where his team has just kind of had enough of him. And he's there. And so he's like, he gets the ball, the quarterback, you know, the guy gets the ball out of the scrummage or whatever, you know, and he's getting ready to throw, and his team basically refuse to block. So he just gets mashed. I mean, it's, it's ugly, you know. And then he goes, okay, guys, you know, like, work with me here, work with me here. You know, he, and he's, he's a phenomenal player, and he gets the ball again, and the same thing happens, you know, and he gets knocked. Or, and I think one of the times he actually manages to get a pass off before he gets knocked over, but the guy who's meant to be running for it, the wide receiver or whatever, is... All right. Okay, good. Yeah, pulled that one out of the bag. All right, but 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 he doesn't catch it and things. And the whole point is, you know, one player on his own can't do it, right? Even though he's the guy, the quarterback. As far as I know, American football, the quarterback is often the guy who gets a lot of, you know, praise, etc. He, you know, the MVP or all these kind of things. And but but on his own, he's he's nothing. Like the team, you know, everybody plays a part. And I think Paul has something similar to that in mind here as well. So everybody has a role to play. What, what else does it say? I think we should get across to people and communicate to people that, that, that God values the least. Like the, the whole kind of hierarchy that we see in the world or in most organizations is inverted in the church. The people who are the, 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 the least noticeable in some ways are the people who God notices the most and cares about the most. You know, and, and you can think about those. I remember hearing a sermon years ago where a guy had brought his... Uh, dad along to this service and he was sharing about this and he was kind of saying you know I brought my dad along to this big kind of conference and I was saying to my dad afterwards 
you know, what did you, what did you, what did you think of the songs there? What did you think of the, the sermon? What did you think of the, the preaching? You know, what did you make of it? Because it was, you know, it was awesome, wasn't it? And his dad said, you know what I noticed the most was the people who were, it was our church, people at the, you know, um, people at the front who were doing the sign language for the, for, the, for the deaf people at the front. And the people who were the handicapped people in their wheelchairs, disabled people who were brought to the front and taken care of by other people. That was what he noticed. It wasn't the, the power of the sermon or the singing or whatever. And I think that's something for us to bear in mind. It's something that, you know, I, if I'm honest, I forget. That, that God values the people who are often uh, unnoticed. But I think, you know, somewhere in the middle of that, we really need to start to draw out the idea that, that we all need each other. And, and, and there are other scriptures that Forrest kind of left on this slide, we'll come back to in a minute, but, 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 but they all point to that as well, that we, you know, you can't be a solo Christian, you know. And, and, and if I'm honest, again, for too many years in my life, I, I tried to be a kind of solo Christian, but, but, but you can't do it. I mean, the, God didn't design the church that way. What is the passage not saying and i think this would be a kind of a good question as well to ask people because because i've done this times with people and asked them and, and some people have kind of said yeah you know I, I i know what this means this is all about you know there's the there's a preacher and there's the teacher and there's all this and and then we all have different gifts which definitely comes before this in first corinthians and after this paul is talking about people having different gifts and, and different roles and i've kind of said yeah that's right you know what, what what do you make of that and they've kind of said yeah you know this is why we, we have missionaries who do with the evangelism in our church, and we have the full-time guy who works really hard, and then, and then there's the different stages of, of people in the church who, and, and, and what they're really talking about is that kind of clergy laity, right? So there are certain people who are gifted in evangelism, so they do that, and, and there are certain people who are more talented at doing this thing, and, 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 and so, you know, it, this is not a passage about some people have the responsibility for evangelism, for example. Some people are called to discipleship, and some people aren't. Some people are called to that, you know, because it's their gift or whatever. It, it, it's not a passage about that, and I think that's important to, to draw out as well. Because why, why, ultimately, why is Paul writing First Corinthians? There's a lot of different issues going on, but particularly towards the end, he's coming back to something he picked up in First Corinthians 1, which is the divisions in the church, and he's talking about unity. He's talking about the fact that we all need each other, there shouldn't be divisions and factions, etc. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 to talk about love right the greatest gift of all if you like which is what something we're meant to to be pulled together by but i do think he's trying to hit on two uh, different kinds of things then one one is this idea of individualism in society right that, that you know we can kind of just you know go it alone right you know that we don't need anyone else i can be a christian i don't need the body of the church and so i think we'd we should would be right to draw that out in church study and kind of say that's not how God designed the church. Even if you feel like you're super Christian over here and you have great quiet times and you can pray and you can go share your faith and you can do all those things on your own, God also makes you responsible for other people. It's not about just what you want or need to live a kind of healthy Christian life in your mind. God also makes you responsible for other people. He's trying to hit on individualism. And I also think he's trying to hit on what I would call free riding. Anyone ever heard of free riding before? What's free riding?
yeah, basically just kind of piggybacking on, on the back of, you know, it, hap it happens in, it might happen in your workplace. So, you, know, you might get really ticked off at that person at work or college or whatever, or, or you have a group at college and, you know, four people are meant to do the work and there's always one person who just kind of tries to free ride. Yeah, what's going on in this group? Edmunds has probably got groups like this. That, you know, like, there's one person, it's not you, Edmunds, I know, but there's one person in that group and they just kind of kind of try and go, yeah, can I, uh, I, I'll just, I'll submit a bit of that and submit a bit of that and get a good grade without doing any work. So I think that those are kind of things to hit upon. Bruce has put a few questions on there that I also think are helpful. You know, what, what, is, what is your view of church? Uh, how would you know if a church is right for you? I think is a great question, right? You know, because a lot of people have this kind of view of, well, here's what I'm looking for in a church, particularly nowadays where we, we church shop. And I think this would probably be a really important point. I've seen this happen a few times. I'm sure you can relate to this, where... You get all the way through the studies with someone and, and, and they want to be a Christian and they kind of get it and they see discipleship and things. But, 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 but then shortly after becoming a Christian, you know, they start to get confused. I'm friends with this guy on Facebook, a really nice guy, Gideon, who we studied with many, many years ago. And, and he got it and, he, you know, and it was great. He had a great heart. And then you know, he became a Christian and then he, he wasn't clear on like standards of discipleship. It wasn't as clear as we thought he was on standards of discipleship and repentance and baptism and all those kind of things and very quickly kind of he just kind of he starts shopping around for other churches well you know i quite like I, I prefer the preaching at this church and the singing at this church over here and, and it became all about all these other kind of things that were i don't think they're meant to be the heart of what a church is about important parts for sure um and why do you think there are so many churches around and then Forrest has put a few other scriptures on there let me just quickly whiz through them even though i know they'll be on the the test later on but Ephesians 4 I don't personally tend to use that one in in, in, in church studies but it's you know it, it's where Paul says you know there is one body and one baptism it goes back to what we just said before it's not about you know the international church of Christ or whatever it's it is about you know those who live discipleship practice repentance and baptism one body one baptism but but Hebrews 3 uh, 12 and 13 I think are definitely you know I would recommend using those if we don't already you know, you know, he says, see to it. He just, you know, he says what I just said to you before. See to it. Like it's our responsibility. That phrase there in Greek means watch out for, pay attention for what is going on around us. See to it that no one has a sinful and unbelieving heart that is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the onus is, is on us. And I think that's a really, I mean, one of the things I've really appreciated about these studies is, is it's a really good reminder to me about, wow, you know, Gosh, you know, th th these are good lessons for me to just, I've got to keep hold of them. I'll come back to that at the end. But, but we have a responsibility for each other. And I think helping someone before they become a Christian to say, you know, you becoming a Christian, yeah, you might be the youngest in the pack, right? But, but you have a responsibility. Hey, Ruby. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't looking directly at you, but, but I was. Okay. Um, but, but you have a responsibility for other people as well. It's not just about what you can get. It's what you can contribute. You know, some of the best challenges that often go around are from young Christians, right? Because they kind of, they see things more clearly, you know, um, than sometimes we, we do as we get a little bit older. Hebrews 10, 24, you know, don't give up meeting together. You know, great passages again about the importance of us being together. So, so I'm going to finish up uh, there. Let me just make sure I'm having fun for us with this service. I'll come back to that in a second for two. Uh, no, okay, let me do that now and then I'll come back to that. So, 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 uh, there is going to be an exam. Da, 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 panic. <laughs> um, so, no, no, it's not panic. It's an optional take-home exam that Forrest, I think, will hand out on the 20th of... Why the 20th of November? I don't know. Anyway, you put the dates on there. And you'll get to hand it back in to 
the 20th a Sunday? A Monday. Maybe he's working on an Australian calendar. I don't know. Um, the 20th of November, and he'll be back in on the 3rd, December the 3rd. So you can take that away if you want to. Um, and, oh, there we go. And there's this optional fourth doctrine class next week, 7th till 9, at the BAYC, which I have no idea where that is, to be honest, but anyway, it's on Pershore Road. So that was that stuff. And, and, and he asked us to, to, to think about, you know, how do we actually go and live out? Because I, I kind of hope that looking through the disciple makers' studies hasn't been a chore. I kind of hope that it's been an encouragement, a refreshment for us again. Most of us have learned these scriptures in the past. They're not unfamiliar to most of us. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this is the first time you've done this, and that, that, that's great. But for a lot of us, we know the scriptures, but it should have been a bit of a refresher course. You know, Like I said, I, I, I've been through a period over the last few years in my Christian life where doing the students thing, where you tend to be studying the Bible with, like Matt was saying today, with five or more people every week, the stuff is fresh in your mind, you know, it's really there, it's, it's kind of, you know, and then coming out of that in 2012, and if I'm honest, you know, since then, studying the Bible with people has been pretty kind of sporadic, you know, we, we, since we've been in Birmingham, we've studied with a few people through, you know, and getting to the end of the studies, but, but it takes a long time, and it's usually one person at a time, that's very different to what I was kind of used to doing with the students, and, and I've noticed that, that for myself, my convictions, my convictions about, about sin, about purity, about discipleship, about who is and who isn't, about all those kind of things, they do get weaker. You know, someone once said that, that, that evangelism, and I think studying the Bible counts as this, it's for us too. It actually helps say, and I, you know, yeah, we're meant to do it with pure motives to help other people, yes. But I think it also we need to take on board that, that the evangelism is also for us. It actually helps save our souls too. It helps strengthen our convictions. So I'd like to encourage us, kind of thinking, if I tie the disciple-makers stuff up with what we did last month as well as a church, the kind of the, the, what was it called, generational lift thing, I'd like to encourage us to think about two things. You know, what it, can we be part of something going forward, whether it's us actually setting up and taking the initiative to set something up, or joining, you know, getting involved in something that's already happening, but something regular that we feel able to bring people along to. Right, whether that, I mean, that, that could be, we, so we, I've told you before, we, we do this uh, Tuesday night, twice a month, uh, pub night. And, you know, we've, we've had some success getting people along to that who, you know, from that we ended up studying the Bible with this one guy, an Indian guy called Sam, you know, who's come along to a few of those, really enjoyed it, you know, and then wanted to study the Bible. But, but it could be something like the football thing, or it could be Brian's thing with the golf. But, but I'd like to encourage us, I think, moving forward to think about something we can do regularly, something we could be part of in our family groups. Something maybe, you know, maybe the family group leaders haven't got a good idea for that at the moment, and they're a bit kind of, you know, and, and that's okay. But maybe, maybe if you're part of one of those groups, you could kind of get together with them and say, let, let, let's come up with an idea. Let, let's figure something out. You know, we don't feel comfortable doing this, but maybe we can do the football thing, or maybe we can set something up, or, you know, find a pub that has a pool table and say, right, on Tuesday nights for the next six months or whatever, once a month or something, we're going to meet at this pub, we're going to play a game of pool, we're going to invite our friends along to it. But, but those kind of regular things, I think, in my experience, will tend to lead to chances to study the Bible with people and actually put this into practice. So I'm finished. We've got three minutes to go. We'll finish up there. Let's get our kids. All right.